This is Critical Thinking Supremacy, Sonic Gravity Black Hole Genesis, and Intellectual Authoritarianism. So before we get started, I want to give you a quick update on the construction of the Voorhees Anti-Gravity Engine, the VAG for short. So the United States Patent and Trademark Office has cashed my check. So shortly I should be receiving a notice of a filing date. And when I have a filing date, I'll be in a position such that nobody will be able to patent the VAG out from under me. And as part of the patent review process, the United States Patent and Trademark Office is going to publish my application so anybody will be able to read it anyway. So it's not going to be a secret at that point. So as soon as I get that filing date, I'm going to tell you exactly how to build your own. But I think any competent engineer, if they listen to all the critical thinking episodes and the critical thinking supremacy episodes, they ought to be able to make it now. The soonest I'll be able to complete construction will be nine weeks because it's going to take eight weeks to get the specialty magnets, the special uniquely shaped magnets that I need. And when I tell you how to build it, it's going to freak you out how easy and just not that complicated. It's a little more complicated than the camber of a wing. To create an electromagnetic pulse of the right frequency to decouple the Higgs field and render everything inside the field massless. When that happens, any craft within such a field will be able to accelerate like a bullet and corner and stop on a dime. Just like we see the Tic Tacs do in the footage that the Navy confirmed. And an amazing thing happened me. Somebody messaged me on Twitter and sent me a photograph that was allegedly a component of a downed UFO. And the component was exactly the geometry and materials of an almost identical component in the VAG. And that is a fact. And so now more than ever, I don't just think it works. I know it's going to work. When I looked at that component, I knew I was staring at my own design that had come back from the future. That is a fact. So I I filed my patent on the engine design that I came up with a few weeks ago, and I just got a visit from my engine design from the future. And I showed it to my wife, and she went berserk. And the first question she asked me was, how much are you going to charge to license your patent? And the first thing I said was, well, if you're just a regular person like us, if you're just regular people like us, you want to build one in your garage, go ahead. This one's on me. But for a commercial entity, for a person or an organization, it's going to build them and use them and sell them or do research for a commercial entity that's gonna build them or sell them i'm thinking a hundred million a year right because i looked at what the price of a f-35 strike fighter was it's like 78 million meh this is better than that so i'm thinking a hundred million a year because you know you don't want to charge too much that it's just cheaper to try to bust your patent because then you have all legal headaches and all that but that's not it there's one more thing if anybody uses the vag or a derivative thereof to produce a craft, I get one of them. So if it's a spaceship or a submarine or a flying battle suit or a cargo ship or a dive suit that could go all the way to the bottom of the ocean or a luxury personal craft or a mobile home, and I don't mean trailer park, I mean a flying castle. You're gonna have to make one for me too. But I don't want to squeeze out the little guy and I don't want to make anybody wait. So, so I think we'll have an early bird special. If if anybody wants to cut me a $10 million check before my patent issues, and for as long as the patent is pending, 
it'll only cost you 10 million a year. But if I want one, you still gotta make one for me. That part's non-negotiable. Cause what good is it if you can't have any fun? So it's an anti-gravity blowout. The early bird special is 90% off, plus you gotta make me one. But hurry up, you don't wanna be the last one to the party. Because if somebody talks me into an exclusive license for $2 billion a year, you're gonna be fucked. And you're gonna regret the time you declined to orbit in sonic gravity. And that is a fact. And I want to spare you that aggravation, that gnawing regret of the opportunity of a lifetime that passed you by. <laughs> All right, enough of that. But I'm totally serious. Let's talk about black holes. So I don't remember when or who it was, but somebody told me that a black hole was a bunch of mass. And it was mass that was so dense, and the gravity was so great that light couldn't escape it. And I just went with it. I just went with the flow. I just said, okay, got that. I believe it. A star's got to be bigger than our sun, like two or three solar masses. And a star two or three times as big as our sun is likely to supernova when it dies. Because a star is a big ball of gas, and it's so big that the pressure in the middle of it will start to fuse atoms of hydrogen and other materials together. And so if it starts out as hydrogen, hydrogen's got one proton. It starts fusing the hydrogen into atoms that have two protons, and that's called helium. But when it gets to 26 protons, when it starts fusing stuff together and it gets all the way to 26, it makes iron. And the difference between iron and everything else is that everything else kicks out electrons. Those electrons turn to photons, and the photons is the light that comes out of the star. And all those fusion reactions release a ton of energy, and it's the pressure pressure of that energy, it's the pressure of those photons coming out of that star that keeps the star from collapsing in on itself. But when the star gets to iron, something really gnarly happens. The iron steals electrons from the star. And since there's nothing holding everything up, the core of the star crushes down in on itself instantly. And then all the layers of plasma, the floor drops out. And all that plasma rushes towards the center of the core at almost the speed of light. Okay, now freeze. At this point, this is where everything that theoretical physicists think about black holes is all wrong. Now I know I'm not a theoretical physicist or an astrophysicist, but what I realized was doesn't make any fucking difference. And what really fired me up about this was recently, a theoretical physicist, a specialist in quantum mechanics named Dr. Jack Sarfati. I was going to join him on a podcast panel, and he was trying to say that bending space was the way these Tic Tacs moved, and he started saying that he could just do it if somebody threw a ton of money at him and he could invent a metamaterial that doesn't exist and he didn't know how to make to slow the speed of light. And he said he could make a ship that could think for itself with quantum AI like Kit from Knight Rider. And then he said he was anointed with a bunch of other children because they were so smart. Somehow, a Tic Tac found out his phone number and somehow the tic-tac called him at home when he was a child and i'm not making this up he really said this and said you're a brilliant kid you're the anointed one who's going to figure out how spaceships fly and then i thought man my resonant electromagnetic field that decouples the higgs field seems pretty reasonable now <laughs> but before i knew any of this i sent him the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis and the sonic gravity theory of everything and the sonic gravity mass effect now i was building the electromagnetic field generator and he refused to be on the podcast if i was going to be on it he said i was just noise and she says i had no credentials so i realized from my experience between this guy and dr andy howell from critical thinking part five ufos uaps and the nature of the universe having a phd in physics doesn't give you any more intelligence or intuition. It just means you're more educated. And being more educated is good. 
not trying to slam education. Being educated is good, but having common sense. Being focused. Not being arrogant. Critically thinking by knowing what you absolutely know. And most importantly, being able to determine all the things that you don't know, that you need to know that are relevant to a problem set. That's what makes you a critical thinker. And that's the only thing that enables you to figure out how Tic Tacs fly. And that is a fact. And I want to dedicate this episode to Dr. Andy Howell who's actually a supernova black hole astrophysics specialist. Because Andy, everything you think about black holes is totally wrong. And everything you think about supernovas is totally wrong. And the fact that you think that UFOs and UAPs are just smudges on the radar that the Navy Nimitz Carrier Warfare Battle Group is misreading their instruments is wrong. And I know it sounds kind of unpleasant and a little unsavory that I'm shoving this episode up academia's ass. But the thing is, is that there is a toxic intellectual authoritarianism that's evolved over time in our academic institutions and in professions like science and medicine. And I'm sick and fucking tired of listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson talk shit about other people. And so this is where I prove that you're all just as dumb as the rest of us. And that is a fact. So here's how you use critical thinking to figure out more than every astrophysicist and every theoretical physicist know about the formation of black holes on a Saturday afternoon. So to think critically about black holes, what we first need to do is know what we know. So let's focus at first on the laws of physics that are going to apply here. One of them is the law of conservation of angular momentum. And what that means is you can see it all the time. Like when an ice skater, you know, jumps up and does the axle and they're spinning around in a circle and they get their arms out and then they pull their arms in like really tight and they speed up really fast. Well, what that means is, is there's a certain amount of rotational energy and the further out you are, you're your arms are spread out, the more energy of rotation exists in your spinning. And so when you pull your arms in, that energy is conserved. But since you're not spread out so far, you spin faster because it took more energy to speed you when you were rotating with your arms out than it does when you're rotating with your arms in. But that momentum is conserved, so you actually have to speed up to stay at the same level of energy. And that is a fact. And that's going to play a really big role in what happens with black holes because think Think of a star and how like wide it is like and think of a star as an ice skater when it starts making iron and the core of the star crushes down and then the rest of the plasma rushes down to the core at almost the speed of light that star is going to be spinning wicked fast just like a figure skater doing an axle and that is a fact and the second thing is the invariance of the speed of light and this is kind of one of einstein's big things he proved that light can't go any faster than 300,000 kilometers per second or 186,000 miles per second because he proved that if you go that fast then your mass goes to infinity which means you get so heavy you get infinitely heavy and so you need infinite energy to get past the speed of light and there's a reason for that see they call space space time and there's kind of a trade-off there and you see it in the heisenberg uncertainty principle and that's not that important but the bottom line is is that you kind of have a trade-off between your speed and your passage through time. And we talk a lot about it in Critical Thinking Part 7, UFOs, UAPs, and the key to immortality. But essentially, if you think of our cheese analogy of time and space that we talked about in Critical Thinking Supremacy, the construction of the sonic gravity quantum anti-grav turbine, but now we're calling it the Voorhees anti-gravity engine, or the VAG for short, unless somebody can come up with a better acronym. And if you can, 
Post it on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Like, follow, and comment while you're there. Love to hear from you. Just search for Sonic Gravity and you'll probably find it. But anyway, you can think of our cheese analogy where time is a bunch of slices of cheese. And each slice of cheese is an instant of time in the universe, like a frame in a movie, like a millibilla trillisecond or plank time so to speak. And so if you're moving at the speed of light, you're moving around, but you're staying in the same slice of cheese, the same instance of time. If you're going at the speed of light, you're staying in that slice of cheese. If you're absolutely motionless and you're not moving at all, then you're going to move through time at the speed of light. You'll zip through those slices of cheese super fast. Call it cheese whiz to the future. And if you're not moving at the speed of light, you're moving less than the speed of light and it's kind of like in the middle, kind of like moving through time at a mosey, so to speak. But you're also moving through space. It's kind of like like a compromise. Because if you look at the equation, E equals MC squared, where E's energy, mass is mass, and C is the speed of light. If C goes up, then E needs to go up. But C can't go up, so M goes up. And that's the same as creating mass, which runs into the law of conservation of mass energy, which means that it would violate the law of conservation of mass energy because the law of conservation of mass energy says that mass and energy can neither be created or destroyed, and that is a fact. So if you go faster than the speed of light, you're going to be creating energy. You're going to be like inventing more energy, which is against the law of physics. Because the universe in your slice of cheese has to be the same mass energy all the way through. And that's a fact. And the laws of physics say that every one of them slices of cheeses needs to be equal. The same mass energy. So you can't create it. You can't destroy it. That too is a fact. So do you see it yet, Andy? Neil? Sarfati? Do you see why a black hole is not a big ball of dirty mass? And why everything you thought you knew about black holes is wrong because I've just given you enough information to figure it out. I told you all the laws of physics that you ever needed to figure this out and that is a fact. It doesn't take any math, you just gotta think critically. So let's put it all together. So when a star supernovas, a star's gotta be two or three times bigger than our sun. And when that star supernovas, it's because it starts making iron. And what triggered this whole cascade of sort of logic in my brain was realizing that all of the magnetars and neutron stars are pretty much the same size. And so whenever a star supernovas, whenever it starts making iron and it blows up, it leaves one of two things. It's either a neutron star or a magnetar if it has like a crazy spin and lots of magnetism, or it leaves a black hole. But the thing is, is that magnetars and neutron stars are usually about the same size. They're really close. There's no really big ones. They're about 12 miles in diameter or 20 kilometers in diameter. And just as a sidebar, that's when I realized that this guy, Schwarzschild, cheated. He came up with an equation that tells you the radius of a black hole. And he said the radius of a black hole was a function of mass, which is impossible. But that's what he did because he, like Neil, Andy, and Sarfati, think a black hole is mass, but it's not. The size and intensity of a black hole is a function of spin. Because I wish I could be there to see the look on your theoretical faces. Are you getting it? Do you see it? You see, a black hole forms when the laws of physics get bent against each other. So when the core of a very large star crushes down, and all of the plasma of that star crushes down too. And it spins like a figure skater. But you see, if its arms are millions of miles long, 
If the star is millions of miles wide, then think how fast that figure skater needs to spin. The law of conservation of angular momentum is going to spin that star, is going to spin the core of that star fast enough to conserve that angular momentum. But if the star is super duper big, then the law of angular momentum forces that star so that the equator, that the middle of that star spins faster than the speed of light. And that is a fact. And what did Einstein tell us? What did Einstein tell us that happens when something goes faster than the speed of light? Its mass approaches infinity. And so therefore, the core of that star that's spinning around, its mass goes to infinity. And think of the zany gravity that happens when something's mass goes to infinity. It crushes it into a singularity. Are you getting it, Andy? Neil? Sarfati? Do you see it yet? And remember, the space that connects that star to the rest of the universe, there's space inside the core of that star when it collapses into a singularity because it was moving faster than the speed of light. And it actually rips space-time. Space-time enforces a speed limit, and when something goes faster than that, it just rips right through space-time. And that, too, is a fact. And I think two really, really interesting things happen right then. But first of all, the radius of a black hole is determined by the radius at which the rotating core achieves the speed of light as a function of the conservation of angular momentum. So everybody forget about the Schwarzschild radius and whoever does the math and sorts out the geometry and the density. You can figure that equation out, shouldn't be too tough. You can put your name on it. It'll be the insert your last name Voorhees radius. It can be a race for all you theoretical astrophysicists. On your marks, it's set, go. Except for you, Dr. Andy Howell, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, and Dr. Jack Sarfati. You've lost all your sonic gravity privileges until further notice. Okay, back to black holes. But the one thing that is still true is that the law of conservation of mass energy is still in effect. And if the mass goes to infinity, and if the mass of the core of that star goes to infinity, then that slice of cheese can't hang on to the core or it won't be equal to all the rest of the cheese and that is a fact because all them cheese slices need to be equal or it won't be fair because it'll violate the law of conservation of mass energy in that instance of Planck time and since that instant of Planck time can't accept that core because it's created new mass and energy it has to kick the core out of that slice of cheese it kicks it back to the slice of cheese in the past, but the slice of cheese in the past can't accept it either. And I think it's kind of like a hot potato all the way back to the beginning of time because it's just so on and so on and so on, all the slices of cheese kicking it back. They're like, you take it, no, you take it, no, you take it. No tang backs, I'm on base. And so on and so on and so on until that core gets to the last slice of cheese because none of those slices of cheese can accept that new amount of infinite mass energy without violating the law of conservation of mass energy. So the last slice of cheese in the universe, or maybe it's the first slice of cheese, well, you get the idea, kicks it all the way back behind it where there is nothing. But remember, the core of that star has space. It has all the forces and matter fields inside it, so that core is actually its own slice of cheese. It's like diet cheese, or it's like skim milk cheese. But the core of that star is in it with infinite mass. But the thing is, is that the space in the core of that star is still quantumly entangled to the edges of space in the parent universe that started this whole thing in the first place, that it ripped out of. There's still a connection there. And so when it gets kicked all the way back to the beginning of time, into before the very first slice of cheese, the tension in the Higgs string 
the quantum entanglement that still wants to pull the core of that star into the slice of cheese of the parent universe is still tugging on that singularity that when the black hole forms over the volume of space that just got ejected, the size of the core, the radius it was moving at the speed of light, which is the exact same volume that the core of that star used to occupy in the parent universe. We know from the sonic gravity theory of everything that the curvature of that black hole that's quantumly entangled to the singularity, the core of that star with infinite mass, which is spinning faster than the speed of light. And I'm correcting the sonic gravity theory of everything because I used to think that because it was divided by the G factor and the black hole wasn't there yet, that it was divided by zero. And that's why the energy of a Big Bang was infinite. But now, think it's still true? But it's not just the g-factor and the curvature of the black hole anymore. It's the mass, which is infinity, divided by the g-factor, which is zero, before the curvature of the black hole is formed. So it's kind of like infinity times infinity, or infinity divided by zero, which is kind of infinity times infinity anyway, if you want to get nerdy about it, which I do. And I think there are two really big things that happen in the parent universe that cause the explosion that we see when a star goes supernova. And one of the things that happens is that when the volume of the core of that star that was rotating at the speed of light, it's going to rip that space-time and leave a giant spherical hole. But all of the rest of the plasma and the matter of the star it was outside that radius when that radius hit the speed of light or exceeded the speed of light or would have exceeded the speed of light. It's like a slingshot, because that space gets stretched and then torn away, and it's kind of like pulling a rubber band until it breaks. And so all the plasma and everything that was outside that area where space-time ripped gets bounced like a trampoline when space-time snaps. And I think there are a couple more sources of energy that kind of add to the bang when a supernova happens. And so remember that the law of conservation of mass energy still has to be true. Like before the supernova happened, there has to be the same amount of matter slash energy in that slice of cheese. Now energy can convert into mass and mass can convert into energy according to Einstein's theory of special relativity E equals mc squared. The energy equals the mass times the speed of light squared. And the law of conservation of mass energy says that when our slice of cheese loses the core of that star, loses the energy from the angular momentum of that star, loses that space to the baby universe, and the release of energy when space-time rips, and so when our slice of cheese, our instant of time, loses all that energy to the baby universe, it triggers an explosion, so the supernova explosion actually balances the energy and mass that we lost when the core of that star was sent back before the beginning of time. And if you listen to Critical Thinking Supremacy and the Sonic Gravity Theory of Everything, then you know the Einstein-Voorhees universal equation for the energy of mass is E equals 4 pi divided by the G factor, including the anomalous electromagnetic dipole moment times the observable mass times the speed of light squared. And so the blast of the supernova is really the energy debt that the universe is paying back to our slice of cheese to make up for what we lost when the core disappeared from our universe. And that's probably how you calculate the total energy in a supernova explosion. And that's probably a fact. I'm pretty sure. And the reason I know that is because it makes perfect sense. When we look at the puzzle, we ask, do all the pieces fit? Does the geometry of the puzzle depend on the things that we know? And from the things that we know, 
can we inductively and deductively determine the rest? And we already know from critical thinking supremacy, the sonic gravity theory of everything, and can be logically inferred from what we've talked about here today, that the black hole itself is caused by tension in the Higgs string. Tension between an infinite mass caused when the law of conservation of angular momentum made the core of a star spin faster than the speed of light. But when the weak nuclear force rips that singularity apart and inflates that entirely new universe, the edges of space-time and the parent universe remain quantumly entangled to all the matter and energy of the baby universe. And it's that quantum entanglement between the edges of space and the parent universe and the existence of a baby universe at the bottom of the Einstein-Rosen bridge arising from the tension in the Higgs string, which makes it plausible that we are energy, our consciousness is energy on the surface of a black hole, surfing a hologram and coding a 3D universe inside. But the existence of that black hole creates negative energy density that is balanced by the existence of the same energy on the other side of the Einstein-Rosen bridge. But the gravity and intensity of that black hole begins to abate as the age of the baby universe approaches the age of the parent universe. And we know that time stops in the parent universe at the edge of a black hole, which gives the baby universe time to catch up. And when the age of the baby universe catches up to the age of the parent universe, the space-time will be healed, the black hole will pop, and the empty space of the baby universe will uncoil into the parent universe and shove the space of the parent universe apart, which is what theoretical physicists and astrophysicists are calling dark energy. But it's really just the space that balances the negative energy density of the black hole. And now you spend 25 minutes in my sonic gravity viewing the universe through the eyes of a madman. And now you know for certain no more than any astrophysicist or theoretical physicist does about black holes, and that is fact. And I understand and regret that some may find the tone of this episode a little douchebaggish, but there's a reason for that. And the reason is, is that there's an intellectual authoritarianism that's infected much of the thinking in our world. It's the same intellectual authoritarianism that refuses to acknowledge. The UFOs and UAP confirmed by the Navy exist. Right, Andy? Right, Neil deGrasse Tyson? And that people like me with original thought and ideas about solving problems, whether physics-based or not, and whether we have PhDs or not, doesn't mean we're noisemakers, schmucks, or idiots. Right, Sarfati? Intellectual authoritarianism blinds and chains us. It abandons reason. It manipulates us into fearing and denying that the Czech Republic, that more than a dozen states in India, American Samoa, have all virtually eradicated COVID within their borders, and that is a fact. And it's undeniable that intellectual authoritarianism has manipulated us into believing that it ain't true. And that's fucking stupid. So this intellectual authoritarianism is actually killing people. And that is a fact. Religious intellectual authoritarianism would have us believe that the pursuit of science and the study of creation is secular. And scientific intellectual authoritarianism would have us believe that faith in God and spiritualism and consciousness is the fear and fantasy of a weak mind trying to find its place in the universe. And if somebody wants to believe that on their own, that's fine with me. I'm not here to change anybody's mind, push an agenda. I like you just the way you are. But to anyone who'd use their power, position, or credibility to shit on somebody else or attack them for nothing more than not believing the things that they believe, I say, go fuck yourself. Because if you're a scientist who thought a black hole would form,
form is a big ball of dirty mass when a star had two or three solar masses supernova and you thought the original mass and energy of the original star could set off a supernova with the brightness of 10 billion stars and throw stardust across light years of distance and still have enough mass left over to form a Schwarzschild radius black hole which is exactly the same size as a neutron star that just didn't quite make the cut to be a black hole at two solar masses then you need to turn in your intellectual authoritarian card because whatever big brain it takes to be an intellectual authoritarian you don't make the cut because if you intellectual authoritarians whoever you are with your 10.0 gpas and your phds can't figure out something that a madman with none of that figured out accidentally spontaneously on a saturday afternoon then you just don't have anything to offer the rest of us and that is a fact. Yeah.